And if you want to open your Bibles along with me, we're picking up in um, Numbers 35. Let me just make a couple announcements. Uh, we have a mar marriage seminar coming up, and that's going to be September 12th, 1 to 5, with a dinner following. And so any of you who are married couples, any of you who are engaged, or any of you who are ready to get engaged, we welcome you to come. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. Please put your name so we have uh, an idea of the number that are coming. It's going to be great. And also, on September 24th, uh, New Hope will be having... It's not going to be a banquet as it was last year because of the COVID deal. It's going to be at the gathering place, at what used to be North Syracuse Baptist. And um, so any of you who are able to come to support the New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center, we encourage you to, to do that as well. And I think that's all the announcements that I have to make. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, literally, because there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And Lord, especially in the times we're living, we realize how important it is to be saved, to know you, to have the assurance of heaven. And I ask, Heavenly Father, as we break open your word this morning, it would speak to everyone here speak to their heart, encourage them, draw them closer to you, and give them wisdom and direction. And Father, as always, I pray that you would anoint and use me as your minister to these, your people. And I pray all this in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, I'm going to share with you a quote that I have probably shared um, quite a few times with you in the past, but it really is appropriate to what uh, follows that I desire to share with you as well. And um, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, he was a uh, French philosopher, politician, and historian. And he uh, wrote a book, and it was titled Democracy in America. And he wrote that in 1835. And here's a quote from his book. It's not the whole book. The book's about many other things. But here's a quote from his book. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school systems and in her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her Congress and her matchless Constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And the reason I share that is because we're seeing, any of us who have eyes to see, we're recognizing that we're seeing such a separation coming between darkness and light in our nation. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. I'm, I don't like to be political. I'm not going to be political. But at the latest convention, they have uh, different caucuses, you know, as well as, you know, because the whole thing, they don't meet together. And several of the caucuses, when they said the Pledge of Allegiance, it wasn't the whole caucus, or the whole um, DNC, but at the different caucuses, several of them said the Pledge of Allegiance, eliminating, eliminating one nation under God. It was just removed from it. And the reason I say that 
is because it's very disturbing to recognize that people are forgetting that we were established as one nation under God. Were we perfect? No. Did we have a lot of things that need to, needed to be changed? Yes. But the one thing that didn't need to be changed is God. God is our Father. And God was the one that most of our leaders looked to in the founding of this great nation. And it's very sad that we're coming to that place. And to me, it really points to how close we are coming to the day Jesus Christ will be meeting us in the air. And we're going to have that glorious day that we call the rapture, where we're taken up to meet God in the air. Rapture is taken from the Latin word raptos. It means to be caught up. And um, when we see how things are happening so quickly throughout the world, it should open our eyes and make us realize how quick and how close that day is. We all know, and you've heard me share this numerous times, that the time clock started when Israel became a nation. Because on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation, and at the very day she declared her nationhood, she was attacked by every single one of her neighbors, and God miraculously preserved her. And when I say miraculously, you want to read a book, The Wars of Israel. God miraculously protected her. But that was the beginning of the time clock. And the thing is, we're drawing closer and closer and closer to midnight, that time when God is going to call his church out of the world. And when I see the things that are happening, happening in the world, and especially in our nation, it's very disturbing to recognize how quickly things can fall apart. Now, some people say, well, things have always been difficult in other parts of the world. Yes, they have. They've been pagan nations, and of course, they've reaped what they've sown. But as far as, you know, Europe was concerned, the United States was concerned, for many, many times, and big parts of Africa and the Middle East, a lot of the, those areas were Christian. A lot of people forget that. And so people have turned away from God, and they're going to receive the reward of the rebellion. Now, many people say, well, don't you believe we're going to see a lot of destruction and the Christian church is going to go through all kinds of problems and trials before the rapture? I don't believe so. And I'll share just a couple of verses with you why I don't believe so. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, and verse 36, Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 36, it says this, Watch, therefore... Now, it's interesting, that word there for, for watch in the Greek doesn't mean just, you know, just cursory looking around. It's like the prodigal father waiting for his son to come home. He stood and he watched. So it means watching like, like you're really looking to see something, not just kind of gazing around. You're looking for something in particular. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you are counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. We're going to meet him in the air. We're going to stand before the Son of Man. And some people say, well, you Christians believe in an escape theology. And I say, yes, we do. I mean, I'm an escapist. I mean, if you want to be a stayist, <laughs> you can. But I'm an escapist. I can't wait to meet the Lord in the air. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says this. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And so the reality is, Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And the things we're seeing in the world makes us realize how soon that's going to be, how close his coming is. But what we have to understand is that you and I as believers have a responsibility to share Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Just because we see the nearness of his return doesn't mean that we go up on a hilltop. Remember, remember that's what the Thessalonians did. The reason Paul wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians is because they were just standing around, standing around waiting for the Lord's return. So he wrote second I can't say it, Thessalonians saying, get back you know, to work, be doing the work of the ministry. And so you and I as believers, we need to be doing the work of the ministry. And all the more, Scripture says, as you see that day approaching. And it is approaching. And so we have to understand that the Word of God is eternal. This is absolutely the most amazing book you'll ever read. And one of the things you find is if you see all the prophecies, Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned in the first service that uh, one-third, approximately one-third of the entire Bible is prophecy. It's the only uh, religious book that has prophecy in it. Did you know that? It's the only one, the Quran, the Hindu Vedas, and the Bhagavad Gita. All these books of, of religion, none of them have prophecy in it. And there's a good reason for it. Because if I say something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, you're going to say to me, you're a liar. And you'd be right, because I said something was going to happen that didn't happen. And so, to put prophecy in any religious book, if someone looked at any of those prophecies and they didn't occur, you'd say, that book is false. But you look at the Bible, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy has been fulfilled exactly as the Word of God said it would. You know, in Ezekiel 35, and, uh, you know, talks about, you know, the Spirit gathering the children of Israel, and then 36 and 37, they're being brought back into the nation, which they are right now. They're a nation. I've been there three times. And then you also have, in Ezekiel 38, it talks about those nations that are going to come against Israel from the north. Those nations are there right now as we speak. And the Bible tells us when that happens, God is going to supernaturally intervene and destroy those nations coming against Israel and their capitals. And I believe at that time, maybe just prior to it or at that time, the rapture is going to take place. And I think that's how close we are. And so we have to understand that it's incumbent upon us to study the Word of God. The Word of God isn't just for old people like me. The Word of God is for everyone, for everyone. It's living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. It can even divide even the thoughts and intents of your heart, Scripture tells us. That's amazing. Now, the Word of God, like I said, is eternal. It's always speaking to man. Now, think about this. The Old Testament shows us where we came from and what our need is right? Shows us our, our, you know, where we came from, how we're created by God, and what our need is. We need to be, um, 
We have sin that needs to be atoned for. That's our need. It goes all the way back to the garden. The New Testament shows us how to satisfy our need, forgiveness of sin, which is through Jesus Christ, and where we're going. We're going to be with Jesus for all eternity. I mean, we go from good to better to best. For good, the rapture comes, we're going to meet the Lord near and go to heaven. And then we're going to come down with him as he establishes his millennial reign on earth. That's better. And then best, he's going to have a whole new creation, a whole new heaven and earth. And we're going to live with him in the new Jerusalem. I mean, what kind of promise can beat that? How exciting it is to know what God has in store for us. So when we read portions like this in Numbers, we have to understand that the Lord is trying to show us, demonstrate to us the, the actual physical meaning of the shadow of what we read in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. Now, if you want to turn with me to Numbers chapter 35, we're going to start off by reading verses 1 through 8. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities, which you will give to the Levites, shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on, on the north side 2,000 cubits. That's about 23 acres on each side. And so if you put all four sides together around each city, that's about 92 acres. The city shall be in the middle. In other words, the Levites are surrounding the cities. The city shall be in the middle, and this shall uh, belong to them a common, a common land for their cities, for the cities. Now among the cities which you shall give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. And these shall be, uh, and these, and these, I'm sorry, and to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These, shall, these you shall give to their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be from, uh, from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribes you shall give many. From the smaller tribes you shall give few. Each shall give some uh, of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance um, that each receives. And so altogether the Levites would have uh, over 4,500 acres of land around the different cities. Now, the thing we have to understand that's interesting about the Levites is God, when he first brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he intended for the firstborn of all the tribes of Israel to be his priest. That was his intention. But because of their sin, remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law, the children of Israel, they you know, kind of encouraged Aaron to make a golden calf. They brought all their jewelry and so forth and melted it down that Aaron would make a golden calf. And they started worshiping the golden calf. And they were saying, they were worshiping the golden calf and saying, you're the one who brought us up out of Egypt. 
I mean, blaspheming God. And so when Moses came down, we know the anger that was in him. And he, you know, threw the tablets down, and, and the Lord smote many of the Israelites because of that. But there was one tribe in Israel that did not worship the golden calf. They were the Levites. And that's why they were set aside to be God's special people, to be his priests to the, to the entire nation. Now, um, one of the things that you, you want to keep in mind here as well, if you go all the way back to, Genesis, to the Garden of Eden, God really intended all of mankind to be in fellowship with him. He, he intended all of mankind to be his priests, all of us. That was his intent. But it was sin that separated man from God. And so often, especially some of you young people might say, well, uh, why did God even give them a choice to sin? I mean, if God didn't give them a choice, you know, you shall eat from any tree except, you know, in the garden except for the one in the center, knowing good from evil, of that tree you shall not eat, and in the day you do, you shall surely die. Why did God give them that choice? Because God loved them, and he wanted them to love him. And love requires choice. I've shared this with you many times. If I give you no choice, if I go up to you and I point a 45 at your head and say, tell me you love me or I'm pulling the trigger, and you say, uh, I love you, that doesn't mean anything. You're only reacting in fear. But if you came up to me or came up to someone else that you truly love and, you, and just because you do, you said, I love you, and you had the choice and you freely said, I love you, that's real love. And so God wanted to give man a choice. And when man was given the choice, unfortunately, our first parents made a mistake. But God, in his love, he offered another choice. If you obey me and follow my word, I'll forgive you and bring you back into fellowship with me. And in the Old Testament, it was all through the law and through works and so forth, and there were many people who lived righteous and holy lives in the Old Testament. But it was only through Jesus Christ that we had the opportunity to obey and to make a choice of having all of our sins forgiven and to be purified from all unrighteousness. And therefore, God was able to make you and I as believers, study your scripture, every single one of us as believers are a holy priesthood. Every one of us. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God to obey him and to do what he commanded us to do. And so now, when we read of portions like this about the Levites being encamped around Israel, you and I are a royal priesthood, and we are encamped throughout the world. For what reason? To bring protection, to bring judgment. Not that we have the right uh, to bring judgment to anyone, or not that we can protect anyone, but we are able to share he who can do both. We share Jesus Christ, who can forgive them of all sin and bring them into right relationship with him and can protect them from all the things that are happening and coming upon the face of the whole earth. You know, the thing we have to remember is the worst thing that can happen to anyone is, is if the avenger of blood, sin, takes hold of them before they die. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. As a believer, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. 
You know, I love that song, When I Die, Don't Weep for Me, because I'll be home and I'll be free. I love that song. You know why? It's true. It's absolutely true. Now, the Levites then were given by God in order to encourage the people of Israel in obeying the word of God, and they were also their judges. And one of the things that I think is so interesting here is God didn't give them their own land. He gave them land that was appropriated by him around the children of Israel. But they didn't have their own land. And one of the things, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, I, I do often, not often, but once in a while, is if you're in the ministry as a pastor, as an evangelist, as a missionary, a youth minister, whatever your ministry might be, if you're in what we call vocational full-time ministry, one of the things is that I always think about, I don't look at my income as coming from people. I really don't. I look at it as coming from God. You know, I never take my paycheck to the bank and I go through the, the log of our role for the church and say, well, thank you. I look at it as being from God. And the reality is the greatest reward that any of us can have only comes from God. Like with the Levites, what we have is a gift from God. We have salvation. We have eternal life because our sins have been forgiven. Now, one of the things that's interesting, too, is the Levites were also set aside as being judges of the people. And so, uh, I, well, let me read Psalm 34 uh, for you. I just want just one verse. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So the angel of the Lord encamps around us. You and I have the Holy Spirit. He encamps around us, and he protects us from this world. And he also gives that assurance because he has sealed us for the day of redemption. He gives that, us that assurance that if we die or if the rapture comes, we're going to Jesus. See, whether we go now or later, we're going to Jesus as believers. And if some people say, well, I hope I don't die before the, the rapture of the church. I want to go bodily. Well, either way, just remember this. Those who die go first. Dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are left and still alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So we are in a no-lose situation as believers. But the thing we have to understand is that our reward is not in this world. Because understand this, good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. But the one thing we do have as believers that this world can't touch is our salvation and our relationship with him. Whether we have much or whether we have little, whether we have health or whether we have sickness, we belong to Jesus, and we have a promise that is absolutely beyond what we can even think or imagine, Scripture tells us. And so we are a royal priesthood. We're supposed to be for the Lord. And we're, we're meant to serve him, to be his testimony to the world we live in. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. That's towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, and go to verse 15. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. 
First uh, John, and then I'm going to go to First Corinthians. But first, First John, chapter two, verse fifteen through seventeen. Do not love the world or anything in the world. I mean, that's clear. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes in, dwells within your heart, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're not our own anymore. If we're believers, we're not our own anymore. You know, silly example. Just using this as a silly example. I'm not thinking of anyone in here, so don't be thinking, oh, he's talking to me. But how many times have you heard someone say, well, you know what? I'm moving across the world. I'm moving across the country because I got a better job. And how many times have you heard someone say, you know what? I'm moving to Hobunk 2 because God called me there. How many of our decisions are based on what benefits us in one way or another, and how many of our decisions are based on God, what God has called us to do? So now we're picking up on our portion with numbers because one of the things we're going to find, you and I are not only the royal priesthood that's mentioned here, but you and I are also the manslayers that are mentioned in this portion, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Numbers 35, starting with verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Cana, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for that... Did I already read the first part? Somebody uh, stole my pages. No, they didn't really. I put too many pages down. Oh, my gosh. I'm really, I'm really getting old, aren't I? Sorry. Numbers 35, starting with verse 1. I already read it. Oh. I am in I'm, I verse 9. Sorry. Aren't you glad we're a small fellowship? You know, I'd be all... <laughs> and those of you that are listening... It's okay. (laughs) Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, uh, then you shall appoint cities to be cities, cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. So in other words, these cities were not meant for people who committed premeditated murder. It's for those who accidentally killed someone. Verse 12. They shall be cities of refuge for uh, you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die, listen, until he stands before the congregation of judgment. In other words, there is a trial. So you can't have a murderer just flee there thinking, oh, I'm okay now. There is a trial, and it has to be determined that his killing was accidental for him to be able to, be able to stay in the city of refuge. 
And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on one side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be the cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee to these. And this, of course, is just one more example of God's grace, how he's able to provide for us. And the priests and the Levites, of course, would be the best judicator of what, whether the person accidentally or intentionally killed someone. And so that's why they uh, fled to the city of refuge. It would be with the priesthood, with the Levites, and they would be the ones who would be the judges. They would convene a court and have witnesses and so forth like we do today. And if it was determined that it was an accidental killing, an accidental death, then the person uh, was free to stay in the city of refuge. But if the person, if it was determined the person killed on purpose, then they could not uh, stay in the city of refuge. And the avenger of blood, which, by the way, in Scripture, is the closest relative to the person who was killed. The avenger of blood then could kill that person if they truly were murderers. But one of the things that's interesting here is even in the case of unintentional killing, the avenger of blood could still take the manslayer's life, the one who killed his friend or close family member accidentally, could still kill him if he was found outside the city of refuge. And... Uh, that's what we mean when it talks about the, the, you know, the, the avenger of blood. It's talking about the nearest relative. They always had that right. Even if the person was found innocent of premeditated murder, they had a right if that person was found outside the city of refuge to take their life. Now, notice in these cities, it's interesting that they had three on both sides of the Jordan. So even those that didn't cross over Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember, remember they didn't fully enter into Canaan. Even they had three cities of refuge, which shows how merciful and, and gracious God is. And so these cities of refuge were scattered throughout Israel in such a way that it wouldn't it'd be very expedient and very easy for someone who accidentally killed someone to flee to a city of refuge. Now, these cities um, were not for murderers. We've made that very clear. Only for those who accidentally killed a person. But one of the things that is very interesting as you study God's word, that even if a person was found innocent of premeditated murder, in other words, it was just an accident, they still had to stay in these cities of refuge. If they went outside these cities of refuge, the avenger of blood could kill them and they would be innocent. So even if you were found not guilty in relationship to premeditated murder, you still had to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. And only then could you leave and, you know, go home to your family and so forth. And so we have to realize that for you and I, think of Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge. That's what it tells us. And strength, a very present help in trouble. And so for you and I, do you know who the avenger of blood is? Sin and death. 
death desires. I'm talking about eternal death. I'm talking about separation from God. Death would love to catch us and kill us. But the fact is, you and I don't have six cities of refuge to go to. We have one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And for you and I to get away from the avenger of blood which we rightly deserve because we're all sinners. See, what's different with you and I, even if we're found guilty, we still can go to the city of refuge, who is Jesus Christ. One. And we can enter that city of refuge very simply by confession and repentance. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us deserves death. For the wage of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Every one of us deserves death. But we have a city of refuge that we can flee to, and our high priest has already died. Jesus Christ, he died on a cross that our sins might be forgiven. His blood was shed for you and I. You and I are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so any of us who have, you know, flown to him, sought him, God, forgive me a sinner, he does. And that's how close our city of refuge is, just confession and repentance. And both of those are important because a lot of people say, well, why was the Old Testament written? Well, the Old Testament was written to show us that we're sinners, to show us our need. And then the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, it's all one Bible, it's one book, but what we call the New Testament is showing us that that need was satisfied in Jesus Christ. But the reason confession is so important, because remember we talked about choice at the beginning? Confession is saying, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. Now, there are a lot of people who don't want to make that confession. They either want to say, well, you know what? I'm a good person. I've never hurt anyone intentionally. I'm even good to animals. You know, that doesn't cut it. I guarantee you that in your heart, And in your interaction with other people, you've sinned. But the fact is, no matter what our sin is, we can be forgiven. No matter what sin we've committed, it it has been atoned for in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I've found is the older I get, the more thankful I am for for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because I am a sinner saved by grace. And so it's important for us that confession is the first thing that we have to address. You have to be willing to admit, I'm a sinner. When I read the Old Testament, I have no doubt I'm a sinner. But then there's confession and repentance. I believe Jesus Christ is God. I repent of my sins, and I ask him to come in and forgive me and take over my life. And he will. It's that simple. You want, to enter, you want to enter the city of refuge from the avenger of, of blood, from death, <clears throat> from the penalty of sin? Just cry out to Jesus and enter in. Because we have to realize Jesus' love for us is so absolutely extraordinary. You know, in Hebrews 2, 3, it says, How shall we escape if we refuse so great a salvation? How shall we escape? What a great salvation. We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is receive it. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you so much. 
for forgiving me my sin. I live for you from now on. In Hebrews 6, 8, that by two immutable things, in other words, it can change, in which is impossible for God to lie, he can't lie, we might have strong consolation, listen to this, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. But we have to flee to that refuge. You know, if one delayed um, fleeing, the fleeing to the city of refuge, the avenger of blood could kill them. And we have to understand, have we delayed in fleeing to our city of refuge, Jesus Christ? Because brothers and sisters, if death takes any one of us or anyone we love without them having first fled to Jesus Christ, the avenger of blood can take their life. And so we have a decision that we all need to make as believers. Number one, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've never really committed your life to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how easy it is. First, you have to admit that you're a sinner. Shouldn't be hard for most of us. Second, we have to desire a need for forgiveness. And then we have to cry out to Jesus Christ to forgive us our sin and to come in by his Holy Spirit and take over our life. And he will. It's that simple. You mean if I, if I really say that prayer in my heart, I'm going to heaven? Absolutely. You mean death cannot overtake me? Right. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that lives and believes in me, what? Never dies. Wow, what a promise that is. And so the thing we need to understand is now is the acceptable time of salvation. And I'm sure most of you here are believers, are saved. You've committed your life to Jesus Christ. You've been born again. But if you haven't, today's the day of your salvation. It's that simple. God, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. And he will. It might be in increments. You know, the day I got saved, it didn't mean every sin I, I had in my life that was uh, you know, besetting me and weighing me down was gone. But it was the beginning and as I walk with the Lord over all these years, there are many things that the Lord has been able to remove from me as far as the east is from the west, as far as sin is concerned. And there are other sins that I fight with and struggle with every day. But I have that assurance in Jesus Christ. I have that assurance. And so those of you that have never made that decision, I encourage you, maybe today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day for you to make that commitment. It has nothing to do with me. You know, I don't want you to feel like, oh, you've got to satisfy the pastor by making this decision. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you and your eternal soul. Because our soul is eternal. You understand that. I mean, think about it. Anyone who has any kind of sense, any kind of intelligence, recognizes that we're more than a body. If we were only a physical body, we would be slaves of this physical body. But we're not. We have a soul and spirit. Our soul is our personality, our self-identity of who we are, which we never lose. Even when we die and we're with the Lord, we're who we are. You're an individual. 
But then you also have a spirit, that which allows you to be in fellowship with the Lord God of heaven. What a beautiful thing to be in fellowship with the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So I encourage you, if you're a manslayer, which every one of you are outside of Jesus Christ, flee to the city of refuge, who is Jesus Christ, and have all your sins forgiven and remain in the safety of that city of refuge for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for the way that you are able to speak to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take everything that we have studied and looked at this morning and help us to apply it to our lives because you alone are worthy. And so, Father, minister to us your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends. Have a great day. Sunny, 90 degrees, old-fashioned summer. <laughs>